Cultivation, Cultivation with Kevy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cultivation with Kevy. I'm your host, Kevy the Dreamer, and today I am joined by a fellow dreamer, a fellow podcaster. I am joined, and you know what, Vanessa? I did not get the proper pronunciation of your last name. Is it Galen or Jalen? Yes, you had it right the first time. Galen, Galen. okay. Mm -hmm. Never doubt yourself. I need to learn that. <laughs> Today, I am joined by Vanessa Gellin. She is a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. She is an advocate for mental health. She has her own podcast, uh, Find the Resili Finding, excuse me, Find Your Resilience with Vanessa Gellin. I'm excited to just chop it up with her. I love to talk about mental health. I'm very passionate about it. And I think it's very important um, that we all find something um, that works for our mental health. And I'm excited to talk to her about that today. How yes. are you? Thank you, Kevin, for having me. I'm so glad that I'm here. Um, so yeah, go for it. Tell me. Absolutely. Would you like to ask first, me? I mean, I could ask you some stuff too. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, I'm loving the background and I'm love you look lovely. I love your dress and it's Thank nice you. to see you in person today. Um, I just want to start off with um, just tell me a little bit about yourself. This is our first time meeting. Uh, we are linked through my girl Camille, who was on a past episode, one of my favorite episodes, who is also a psychiatric nurse practitioner. So just tell us about yourself, Vanessa. Yeah, shout out to Camille. She's doing big things. <laughs> Yes. But um, yeah, thank you again for having me. But hi, everyone. I'm Vanessa. And as Kevin mentioned, I do have my own podcast called Find Your Resilience. But um, I don't know, where can I even start? Let's just say I've been finding my resilience for the last how many? So I'm what, 30, 33 now? I've been finding my resilience for that long. But I could say the podcast journey didn't start for me until the death of my dad. He passed away beginning of 2020. So he died from cancer. It wasn't COVID. He had pancreatic cancer. And I didn't find out till my last year in nursing school. Well, in, you know, it's like my NP school, my master's program. And I'm like, what? Like, and he's someone who is never sick. He did have diabetes and like high blood pressure, but for the most part, he was taking care of his health. He would exercise. And when he told me that he had like this, he had to go to the hospital. He had like jaundice in his eyes. So his eyes were yellow. And I'm like, oh, that's not a good sign. So yeah, he ended up telling me that he had to get a biopsy done and it was positive for pancreatic cancer. And I was like, oh, damn, that's not good news at all. But yeah, ever since the death of his, um, you know, since his passing, I've just been just struggling with grief. I was just like damn, I would never want anyone to go through this. And here I am dealing with it. So I'm like, okay, Vanessa, you're studying to be in psychiatry, so you should know these the answers. But no, I did not know the answers. And I had to basically find myself all over again. Um, I did do some counseling. I had to do grief counseling. I had, so for those who don't know, like I'm, I was raised in Florida. And I had flunked out of a previous master's program. So I was doing family nurse practitioner, flunked out of that. And I'm like, damn, I feel like a failure. But we're, we're not, we're not going to doubt ourselves. We're going to keep it pushing. So I was like, okay, well, I have no choice but to start over. So I end up reapplying to programs. And I'm like, this time around, I'm applying to the top programs. 
and I applied to University of Pennsylvania, which is Ivy League. So when I got the acceptance letter, I'm like, what? I got into Ivy League? No way. I just flunked. They're not going to accept me. So yeah, I'm saying, I'm saying this um, to say, like, don't ever doubt yourself. But yeah, moving forward, I had to deal with my grief. I had to finish my program. And then I had plans to relocate um, to Georgia. So it was just a lot going on. But yeah, I find myself with a lot of adversities and I try to be as positive as possible and, you know, encourage others that, hey, it is, it can be done. We just have to believe in ourselves. So here I am. Well, kudos to you. Um, so obviously you, you already had the passion for mental health because you were in psychiatric mental health nursing um, studying that, pursuing that part of nursing. Um, I used to tell Camille, are you crazy for going into this part of nursing? What makes you want to do this part? But you know, it's inevitable that that is a part of our life. I remember first going into nursing school. Um, I remember like wanting to avoid like psych nursing, but there's no way that you can avoid psych because psych is a part of life. Psych, psych is everywhere, no matter what part of nursing or what part of life you're in. Um, and just hearing your story, it's very similar to mine. Um, and it's funny that me, you, and Camille are all around the same age. It's all pretty similar. Um, it sounds like definitely losing your father is what started this. Maybe what was already inside of you, it just got that that going. It fueled the passion even further. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy because I didn't. I never wanted to do psychiatry, Kevin. That's the crazy part. Oh wow! Um, I kind of landed into it. Um, you know, my mom, she's schizophrenic, so there is a history in my family. And you know, we're from a Haitian household where you're not allowed to talk about mental health. So I'm like, this is so strange because my mom, she's in her sixties now. Sorry, mom, for putting age out there. <laughs> <laughs> but she didn't get diagnosed formally until her 40s. So I would say like 20 years of her life, she's been undiagnosed, not treated. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think at the time I was what, in middle school, high school, don't know what's going on. And I'm like, this is so strange. And then when I try to ask my grandparents, like, what's wrong with mommy? They're like, shh, 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 don't talk. So I'm like, okay. But as a child, it's affected me because like, there's just certain things I would like, you know, like to communicate with my mom, she doesn't have the capacity to, or I see her, you know, just acting bizarre and I'm just kind of embarrassed, you know? So I'm just like, all right now. But yeah, psychiatry was something I always wanted to do. I was ashamed of it too. Um, I had did like mental, not mental health, I had did med surge for a while. I did ICU. But I've always tried to remain positive and encourage others. And I think after I flunked the FNP program, I had did a study abroad in India. And I think that's what opened up my eyes to do psychiatry. So when I went to UPenn, I was like, oh, India, that sounds nice. Never did study abroad. And this time around, I'm like, I'm doing everything I've never done before when I went to Philadelphia on my own. So I did the study abroad. I didn't even know it was regarding mental health. Um, so I was pretty much helping out a nonprofit organization in India. And I loved it ever since. And I'm like, why am I not doing mental health? I have a family history of it. Um, I think this is my calling. So that's when I changed my program. I did get pushed back from the school. 
Um, but everything ended up working out like it was supposed to. So that's how I ended up in psych. And then I ended up working, um, I think I did adult and geriatric psychiatry. I also worked with child, children and adolescents as well. And I'm like, you know what? I think this is for me. I actually like what I do. So here I am now. Wow. And, you know, I just want to point out something. So I love that you said that you you keep a positive outlook and you keep it pushing because some people would experience that failure, quote unquote failure, but it's more of a redirection because it sounds like it redirected you to your purpose, which you're supposed to be doing. So the reason it didn't work out is because you're supposed to be doing this. Yes, I can agree. It did lead me to my purpose, but it was so hard. It's so hard to be positive all the time. Yes. And toxic positivity is a thing. And I mean, I had to sit with my feelings and I think sometimes it's difficult for people to sit with their feelings. And that's, it was a challenge for me because I was just like, I was mad at God. I was, I was like, why is this happening to me? This is not fair. Um, you know, but I had to be honest with myself and I think vulnerability and being authentic are just, it's challenging, but I think it brings you closer to your purpose when you can sit down and accept your reality, you know? But um, yeah, it's tough being positive, but I think that's the goal. I have a magnet on my fridge that says never, never, never give up because I've had many obstacles. This is just, you know, a little bit of what I'm explaining now. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I want to talk about that for a second um, because that's a really great point. It's really hard to be positive and being positive is a choice. Being positive is a constant daily battle, you know, and there, like you said, there is a thing such as toxic positivity and you do have to allow yourself to experience things and to go through it, you know, um, but you just have to keep going. You have to keep going through that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I remember um, yeah, after the passing of my dad, I, and this I discuss on my podcast in depth, but I went, I was admitted to a psychiatric hospital. I was going crazy, literally. And I'm like, no devil, this ain't gonna happen. I'm about to graduate in a few months. How am I stuck in a psych hospital? And granted, you know, I have to continue with clinicals. And if you're gone for a certain amount of time, they're going to tell you, sorry, you've got to restart, you know, next year or whenever the next rotation is. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I got to finish. So I just remember, like, my dad passed literally, like, within that first week of me having to return back to Philadelphia for my program. And I'm in the psych hospital. I'm like, I don't know how long I'm going to be here for it because I had to be, um, involuntarily committed I had a psychotic break at the airport so I'm trying to make it back to Philly right on that flight to make it back to Philly I have a psychotic break at the airport so this is my dad's in hospice at this point so he didn't die as of yet but I'm like crap let me see if I could make it for the first week and maybe fly back down no I had a break at the airport I remember EMS coming and um I think they had to give me birth said that's all I remember Next thing you know, I wake up, I'm in the Orlando Medical Health Centers on the emergency department, and I'm just like, what the hell? I'm just so paranoid, very, very anxious at this point, and they had to transfer me to a psychiatric facility, and I just felt so, I felt so low. I was like, 
you know, yes, I advocate for mental health. Yes, I want you to seek the help that you need. But don't get me wrong. I'm not a big fan of psychiatric hospitalizations. Like, you know, I don't think they give the best care to patients. And here I am on the other side, right? So I'm just like, what what's going on with me? And I'm a girl that I guess I have family that like looks up to me like, oh my God, like this girl can never do no wrong. Like she's just so perfect. She gets things done and she's always on the right track. But I really saw myself as a failure. So as a psychiatric provider now, when I see clients and, you know, I have a better understanding and I have more compassion and empathy for them because it's like, yeah, I've, I've been that patient and um, I'm the provider now. So I've seen both spectrums. Wow. That's powerful to be on both sides. It's one thing to be on the end of being the provider, the nurse, the healthcare provider, but then to be on the other end and to experience it from the end of the patient. That's wow. That is, that's a very, um, that, that's a way that you, I guess you don't, ex you don't think about it unless you experience it from that perspective. Right. And I can say I was in the ugly green gown, like that little, little paper scrubs that they give you. They lock the door so you don't even have access to your room all day. Um, you don't have your cell phone. So like none of your personal belongings are with you. So there's no way for me to contact family. I have to use a little rinky dink paper phone on the wall that I share with everybody else who, in my opinion, were in, they were just in more critical condition than I was. Um, so it's almost like a holding cell type of thing. Like when you're up against the window and, yes. oh, wow. And like, so it was an experience that I think I am, um, I'm actually grateful for mm -hmm. because it keeps me humble. It keeps me humble, I must say. And um, it just gives me a different outlook on like my psychiatric patients. Because, you know, a lot of them are like, I don't want to go to the hospital. They don't do, you know, they don't treat patients well. And I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I've been there before. And I agree with you, you know. So to avoid hospitalization, you know, I need you to take your medications. I need you yes. to comply with counseling. Um, but yeah. That was such a journey for me, but here I am now doing better, bigger things, I guess. That is so powerful. That That is, it, it gives you that insight that because you've, you've been there, you can tell them, you know what I mean? Like you can tell them from experience, yes, I, I know that this isn't the best, but this is why I need you to do X, Y, and Z so that you don't get to this place. Mm-hmm. And like, I was silent. I didn't even tell like my family. I remember they're trying to reach out to me to send me their condolences because my dad died. And I just remember blocking everybody out. And I, I tend to shut down when I'm just, you know, not in the right state of mind, which is not always the best, you know, you should have someone to confide in. But I just, I guess I didn't trust anyone at this point because it's like I come from a family where, you know, they talk behind your back and, you know, they are not, they're not always uplifting, you know, I'm not speaking for everyone, but I just, I didn't know who to trust. Um, and also so, yeah. it was probably ingrained not to talk about that, you know, because especially like you said, in black families, we don't talk about our struggles. We don't talk about our problems. We keep it inside. We don't right. share that with the world. It, it's shunned. Right. It's like and shame. 
Yeah. And even till this day, I think I am struggling with, I guess, like talking with my dad's side of the family. I don't know. It's just mm-hmm. you don't really see people's true colors until someone passes away, like someone close to you. So it's like yes. I saw a different side that I didn't expect. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yes, I definitely know exactly what you're talking about, especially with losing my father. I know exactly what you mean with his side of the family. And, you know, just to just to relate to you, I I definitely understand. So, you know, I lost my father. I lost my father in 2018. It was well before, you know, the pandemic and we knew anything about that. But the story was crazy. And I have shared it before on my podcast, but I've never shared it with another guest. So I my parents were together for 38 years. They were married for almost 30. And I became a travel nurse. And when I became a travel nurse, I didn't do like the local thing. I didn't go like a couple cities over, or just a state over. I went all the way to California and I'm from Ohio. So I went way away. And I, I really truly believe that me going that far away was part of like my parents had to really be face head on with their problems and what happened was my parents split up and I had no idea and which was very it was very crazy because me and my mom were like this we were so close and she would tell me everything she didn't even tell me that she left my dad so my dad calls me and for my dad to call me is very out of the ordinary we did not have a relationship so I knew something had to be wrong so my dad called me and told me that my mom left him And it's almost comical for me to look back on this and remember my reaction because I know how silly this is. But I remember saying to him, she probably just went to work. It's like, obviously, she didn't go to work. Obviously, you know, he's not going to call me because she went to work. So I guess I was in denial. But long story short, my mother left my father. Uh, My parents were separated for eight months. They got a divorce two days before my 28th birthday. My mom got remarried two months later, and then two weeks after she got remarried, my dad passed away. So it was crazy. And then, you know, I, I definitely think I've had a psychotic break before, but I've never, I guess I've never been diagnosed with one or, or diagnosed it within myself, but I definitely have had moments where I'm like, I'm losing my mind. So I definitely understand it. I definitely get it. And I definitely believe that that, I definitely believe that mental issues are hereditary. And I think that that's why it's important that we talk about stuff. And it's, it's so sad when families, not just black families, but families in general are too proud to talk about their issues, because if we would identify them and know them, we could get the help that we need. You know what I mean? Um, But it's always like, Oh, there's nothing wrong with me or there's nothing wrong with your dad or what have you. And it's like, it's not to shame them. It's not to make them feel like, there's something wrong with them. It's so that we can get the help that we need, not just for them, but for us. So I get it. Yeah, I agree. Kevin, I mean, sounds like you went through a lot and a lot of changes happened so quickly. Mm-hmm. So did you even have the time to process like the no. divorce, your mommy marrying and then your dad? Like you must have been in shock for a long time. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, You know, sometimes I feel like I'm still kind of in shock. And that was five years ago that my dad passed. And I mean, my mom's remarried. And sometimes I still feel like 
wow, did that really happen? Did I really make it through that? And how did I make it through that? Like, it's nothing but the grace of God that I'm still here because that was just such a shell shock. Like, I really felt like my head was spinning. I'll never forget when I got the news that my dad passed. Like, I really blacked out. I don't remember anything. My memory is just, I used to have a really sharp memory and remembered intricate details about things. And there's things that I don't remember anymore. And I really think that that's, trauma you know and i remember thank god that my close friend and cousin was with me when i got the news if he wouldn't have been with me i probably would have been dead on the road he said that i and i don't even remember this he said that i was in the car driving when i got the news because my brother called me and i probably shouldn't have took the the call when i was driving because i had this feeling that something was wrong and that's something else that i believe i really believe that our bodies know stuff you know what i mean like i believe that our intuition is very strong and i believe that we know when something is off and i could just feel that something was wrong i didn't know what it was but i answered the phone and my brother gave me the news and apparently i was all over the road i have no recollection of it and my my cousin was like pull over i'm gonna drive i don't remember it so it's crazy the fact that you were driving, I'm glad that you had someone with you to keep you safe because that's the worst time to get some news. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, yeah, I just grief. I don't wish that on anybody. It sucks. I think I, I mean, I'm still grieving. I don't know if you could fully mm-hmm. get over a death of like a parent, right? I agree. Um, regardless if you were close to them or not, you know, that's still part of your identity, right? Mm-hmm. So it's tough. I know with me, I was at school when, you know, I got the news. I was by myself in Philly and like I had plans for my dad to come visit me. So that, you know, I was actually in the process of reconciliating with my dad because like I didn't have the best relationship with him. My parents were also divorced too. Um, They divorced when I was really young, when I was six years old. And I was raised by like my mom's um, parents. So my maternal grandparents raised me. My mom, I remember my dad, like he was trying to get full custody of me. And my grandma, my grandfather, they're like, nope, that ain't happening. So I believe they became my legal guardians. They had to go Mm -hmm. to court and, you know, fill out those paperwork and stuff. But he was upset because he didn't want to pay child support. And my dad, he was an electrical engineer, so he was he was making good money working for the New York City Transit. My mom at the time, I think she because of her like illness, she was like in and out of jobs, um, so she was never consistent with jobs and stuff like that. And then he ended up finding someone, um, which she was a friend of like his sister. So I don't know, it was a little shaky to me, <laughs> but. I get you. There's just a lot of like toxic family dynamics that I'm trying to break. I need to break this curse and, you know, me doing my work so that I don't transfer this generational trauma to my kids. It is so hard Mm -hmm. because it's like you're dealing with your own mess and you're dealing with other people's mess and you got to make sure you set boundaries. Yes. It's so tough. tough, Yes. Setting boundaries is that is not an easy thing. It's very necessary and it's very healthy. And I don't know if you're like me, but for me, I was a people pleaser. I'm, I always say I'm a recovering people pleaser. And it's it's definitely the trauma that I've been through. But I always felt like if I told somebody, no, something was wrong, like I did something wrong. And it's like, no, you're not, you know, you can't please everybody. It's unrealistic to even think that. But it's like, you know that, you know what I mean? Like, 
I think we're all smart people. We have sense. We know that certain things are are not wrong. You know what I mean? But it's like our bodies just tell us, like our minds just play tricks on us. Like whatever we've been through or whatever we've been acclimated towards or how we've been raised or whatever. And it's just whatever we've been through, that becomes our identity or we just, that just becomes a part of us. And it's just, it's crazy. Right. Trying to, trying to break those, those patterns and, and, you know, break those curses and get better. It's, it's not easy. I, I always say, I don't know if I heard this somewhere, if I made it up, but I always say healing is not easy. If it was, everybody would do it because there's so many people that need to heal. Everybody. We, listen, yes. if you've been living on this earth for more than 20 plus years, we all need some healing. Yes. And yeah, I, I was, um, I mean, I'm doing better now, but yeah, I was a big people pleaser because I didn't want to get people upset. Even now, mm-hmm. it's like, the way I act certain things, it's like, no, I need to be more direct. I don't, you know, I don't yes. get around the bush. Like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay to make people mad. That's okay. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. yeah, I, child, I have those challenges as well, but I am getting better. I love that. You know, and I will say, I 100% believe in therapy. I actually just got back in therapy actually yesterday. Good for I you. I hadn't been in therapy for a minute, and I finally said, you know what? I don't know what I'm waiting on, but I need to get back in it. And it's mm-hmm. been good. It's been good. And it's it's funny because I, I know we're all messed up. You know, I know we all have issues that we've been through, but, and I'm not trying to toot my horn and like win a messed up contest, but just being in therapy, I'm like, I have been through some shit. And just telling them my story, I'm just like, damn, how am I, how have I, you know, because just telling my therapist the stuff that I've been through and, and he was like, you know, so many people, would have would have tried or would have committed suicide for what you've been through. And I'm just like, damn. Sometimes I sit here and I'm like, how am I still here? But I give God the glory because Amen. you know, it, it's not, it's not mine, it's God's. It's not, this is it is my life, but it's God. God put me here for a reason. So I it's it's selfish of me if I would want to do that. So I just give him praise and glory. And Amen. It's, it's hard. You know, we all go through stuff. And if and if there's anybody out there listening right now, if you're going through something, it doesn't even have to be therapy. If you don't agree with therapy, just find somebody that you can trust and talk to them. There is somebody that cares about you. I've talked to so many people that they feel like nobody cares about them. I don't believe that. I think that everybody has somebody on earth that cares about them. I believe that everybody has at least one angel. I believe that too. And nine eight eight is the new um, crisis yes. line. So yes. if you need to talk to someone, nine eight eight available twenty four hours. Yes. Um, but if you don't mind me asking, like, what made yeah. you get back into therapy? Absolutely, I I don't care to to share. I'm an open book. Um, you know, I'll be honest. I have been having a lot of crazy dreams lately, and I. So I'll, I'll tell my backstory as well, because I've not shared that as lot, And I think it does give context. So I definitely, I definitely have been through some craziness and um, being a child, first of all, being, being a biracial child and then being a gay child and then having the stereotypical black family and then having, gosh, it's so, it's hard to put into words. Um, having the family, and it doesn't even have to be the black family, but that's how it was for me. Having 
the family that doesn't approve of you. And before you even know who you are and you're already told who you are, I, my earliest memory in my life is being called a faggot. I was four years old. That's my earliest memory of anything. Oh my goodness, four? I was four. I was laying on the, I was sleeping on the couch. I was, so the house that I'm currently in right now, this is my, my childhood home. I inherited this home from my father when he passed. Right down the street, my grandparents lived, my paternal grandparents, my black grandparents. And I was so close to them. Like my grandfather, he lived to be 96. And that was my homie. Like we were so close. And I would just always go down there. And my point was saying that is um, we would always be down there. Like that was, we would spend holidays down there. And like my mother was close with them. My mother like pretty much, I remember going over there every week and my mother like cleaning their house, cooking them dinner, just like basically as their daughter, like they had a great relationship. And remember I was four years old, I was sleeping on the couch and my mom was up with my dad's mother and my uncle was walking in the house, he was drunk. And I remember him saying, look at that little faggot sleeping there on the couch. And I remember saying to my mom, and I was sleepy, so I was just waking up. And I remember saying, mommy, what's a faggot? I will never forget that. Like, because a child, I don't think a child should hear the word faggot. Like, I understand that people are going to hear things and you can't protect a child from everything. But to say it directly to them was just disgusting to me. Not even just that it's me, but I just think about my own nephews. I think about children out here that are innocent. And I just can't imagine saying something like that to them. So... I remember that and I just was constantly just harassed and bullied, not just by them, but like I, I was bullied in high school. You know, I had like a select few people. It wasn't, thank God, like it wasn't overwhelming. Like it wasn't every day of my life and it wasn't like I would go to school and get my ass beat, but I, there was people that didn't like me at school. It was like one person in particular that would just make my life hell and basically my point is i have dreams all the time like about that stuff and it's like i've moved on from that i don't like live in that space but i think like deep in my subconscious like a part of that is still there i guess like unresolved or it's just a part of me i don't know but i have dreams where like i'm being attacked or like people are like telling me things like i'm not good enough or we don't want you or what have you and what was happening in my dream that was so crazy was I was at, I was at a party. It was like a family party. And keep in mind what I just told you about my, my black side of the family. So all of my black family was there. And so there's not the good relationships there. And I was at this party. It was almost like it was a retirement party. I don't know which family member it was for, but there was like family members that in the dream, I knew that they were like long gone. I knew that they had passed away. And my mother and my father, who my father's passed away too, my mother was driving away. And I remember walking outside of the house in my dream and I was waving like, wait, wait, I'm right here. You forgot me. And my mom just saw me and she pulls off and like leaves me. So I had that feeling of like abandonment. And then all of a sudden the party that was someone's house turns into like a nursing home slash institution and I'm institutionalized. And I was sitting at like this table, I guess to be interviewed or whatever. And um, I, I guess like somebody that works there or whatever comes and like was talking to me, but then they weren't listening to me. And I'm like, wait, I'm not done. 
and they're like that's all we that's all we care about we don't care about anymore like just constant feelings of not caring and not wanting you like i just have those in my dreams all the time and i was like i can't live like this anymore i have to address this i don't know what this is saying i don't know what this is and i constantly have feelings of just not being good enough not i mean it's deep stuff like and i don't care to share it because i'm not ashamed of it well, Kevin, thank you for being authentic, being vulnerable, and vulnerability is a strength. And, you know, when you're speaking about your story, you're speaking about everyone else that resonates with you. So thank you so, so much. It's not easy unraveling your childhood, basically. I mean, since the age of four, you've been dealing with this, and this is drama. You're having these um, flashbacks and these nightmares, you know, those are some symptoms of PTSD, and I'm glad that you're finding someone to help you um, unravel those feelings and emotions and, you know, all that you went through. That's not easy. And it just sucks that we continuously live in this world where people are just cruel. They have no understanding. They lack compassion. There's no empathy. And even now with social media, people just you know, they, there's those social media trolls. They feel like because they're behind, you know, a phone, they can say whatever they want. And it's just, we just live in this, this tough little world right now. But, you know, thank you for sharing that. That's not always easy to share. And, you know, for those who, you know, are dealing with similar situations or want to seek out counseling, hey, there's someone out there for you. And if you're not, comfortable with that one counselor, you know, continuously find someone that you're comfortable with. So yes. I'm glad you're in therapy, Kevin. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you for the love and support. And I do want to be vulnerable to whoever's listening right now and just say that wasn't easy for me to share. And I am a little paranoid about it, but that is, that's the devil. That's not God. Um, doubt and fear does not come from God. That comes from the devil. And it's not about me. It's about helping people. So I'm comfortable to share my story because I used to try to hide my story because I didn't want to talk about my family. I felt like I should protect them, even though they've never protected me. And, you know, it's about for me, it's about helping that young man who is different. He doesn't even have to be gay, but who is different and is being shunned and is being picked on and is being alienated for being different and feels shame. I just want to help that one young man who, as Whitney Houston said, is the future. So mm -hmm. I thank you for that love and support. And I love that you said that if, you, if you're not finding that right therapist, keep trying. There's so many different therapists out there. There's, I mean, how many people do we have in the world? So it's like, if, you, if you're not connecting with that one, just keep trying because it's going to help you. It really is. Mm-hmm. And um, what else did I want to say? Yeah, I was just saying how, like, you know, I have some family members that are in the LGBTQ community that are afraid to speak up and have really alienated themselves. So I'm glad you're talking about this. Um, I think it's super important because there are high cases of suicide among that community, you know? Absolutely. And, Absolutely. you know, when you don't feel like you're being heard, it's just... You attach that to your, your self-worth and your identity and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you're self-aware is a plus, you know. So I'm glad you're I'm glad you're in your direction. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I think that is a good segue for definitely let everybody know your socials, how we can support you, how we can follow you and support what you're doing. Please let us know where we can listen to your podcast and what you are doing. Yes. So I created a podcast called Find Your Resilience with Vanessa Gellin. I'm on all platforms. Um, And as I mentioned, you know, I think after the death of my father, I really wanted to share my story. And I'm like, damn, I've been through some shit, too. Am I allowed to curse, Kevin? I'm sorry. Uh, Yes, please do. Please please express yourself as you see fit. But I was just like, I need to share my story because I've been through some stuff. But, you know, God always opens up another door for me. So when one door closes, another door will open. So, yeah, I wanted just to share my story so that people, you know, who can resonate will be like, oh, wow, don't give up so soon. So, yeah, I am on um, all platforms. Find Your Resilience with Vanessa Gellin. I also have an Instagram called... What is it called again? I'm so sorry. I have resilient underscore Vanessa for my personal Instagram. And then it's find your resilience, the podcast on um, my Instagram. I love it. And what, what can we expect to come from your podcast? Well, pretty much I like to share my story and other people's story on resiliency and how you could come back from the setback, rise up from adversities and knowing, you know, just because you failed doesn't mean you're a failure. And, you know, you're one step closer to your dreams. So just never giving up. And I think I've shared my story. My fiance, he was in the army. So he's a veteran who shares his story. Mm-hmm. I shared Camille's story. I have, like, you know, friends that have been through some stuff. And I'm like, your story is important. We all have stories. So yes. if anyone wants to share their story, Feel free to hit me up. I am I my Instagram, I mean not my Instagram, my Gmail is find resilience the podcast at gmail.com if you wanna, you know, write me. Okay. I love that. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Cultivation with Kevy. I love to talk about mental health. I, I love to share other people's stories as well as Vanessa. I love to make people feel good and to heal. I think that that's important. I think, like she said, we all have a story and I think that we can learn something from each other's story. I think every story has something to be told and something to be learned. And I think that we all have a light. And if we just trust ourselves to shine that light, we don't know who, we don't know who needs that light and we don't know who can see that light even when we can't see it. So I just, I believe in that. And I'm so gracious to connect with you, Vanessa. Um, Thank you so much, Camille, for connecting us. Grateful for that. And I'm definitely excited to check out your podcast and please everybody out there listening, please check her out at Find Your Resilience with Vanessa Gellin on all podcast platforms. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Vanessa, you take care. Beautiful connecting with you. Um, Everybody out there, this has been another episode of Cultivation with Kevy. Until next time, take care and God bless. Thank you. And that wraps another episode of Cultivation with Kevy. I really hope that you've enjoyed yourself and that the information was beneficial to you. I strive to create an environment that promotes and is conducive to healing. If you enjoyed what you heard, please do me a favor. Go to your streaming platform of choice that you listen to your other favorite podcasts on and give Cultivation with Kevy five out of five stars. If you also would like to share your experience, please write me a review. 
Thank you so much for your time. And as always, take care and God bless. See you next episode. K-A-N-A.